First things first. First is the DU General, Money P. I'ma put you up on the schedule. Six to nine, eight weekdays, not to insert. We got a lot to talk about, so much to pedal through. Unapologetically progressive. Tune to KBLA 1580 to get the mess. With your ancestors' favorite radio station. First black on talk radio, left side of the nation. Me and Dominique Prima go way back. Smiley making sure the station stays black. Discussing all the issues in our community. Host of black and brown and others find unity. So let's talk about it. Maybe we can improve it. Digital underground, always down with the moon. Come on. So we tune in. The first things first with the queen of black talk radio. Dominique to Prima. Go, sis. KBLA Talk 1580. Good morning and God bless. I'm Dominic DePrima. The show is called First Things First. My first thing today and every day, giving thanks, giving praises, asking for blessings from God, asking for the blessings of the ancestors and the elders, and getting it started. So the way we do this show, the first hour, we usually focus on the left coast. What's going on in California, this side of town, over here by the Pacific Ocean. Hour two, we go national, international, and beyond. And in the third hour, we do a deep dive with the person, persons of interest. Sometimes it is a hot topic. Now, Fridays, as you know, we do a little thing called Friedman Fridays, where we do a very, very comprehensive conversation about reparations. What does that mean? It means every camp is welcome, all comers, all intellects. If you got a thought, if you're doing some work, you are welcome into the space. We do that in the second hour. Most of the time in the third hour, we unpack what we learned, what we didn't learn, what we liked, what we didn't like. And uh, we have a robust conversation in the chat room all the time. That, of course, can be found youtube.com KBLA 1580, because that's where we stream every weekday. And I'll see you there. Yeah. Um, Today is not really, really an exception. But then again, it is because um, we are going to be focused, as we did on yesterday, on the 57th Assembly District. Uh, One of the candidates for the spot, in fact, many would say the, the leading candidate based on endorsements and such, is an educator, organizer, and a foster parent born and raised in Los Angeles. She's been involved as an activist, involved in politics from the time she was elected student body president in elementary school. And she's, she says she's dedicating her life to dismantling oppressive systems one by one and being a driving force for justice and liberation. Uh, Sade, Elawari, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you could come in studio. It's nice to see you. I won't say meet you. We've met before. But um, you are an activist. Actually, it's, it's I guess that's kind of a theme for this race. Activists who are thinking about working on the inside. So what spurs that decision? Like time for me to get out of these streets and get into the halls of influence. Yeah, so I definitely 
I don't want to get out of the streets. We got to stay in the streets. We got to make sure <laughs> that we are always doing the work with folks on the ground. Um, but I think the biggest um, thing that impacted my decision to run is, you know, last year hearing about what was going on behind closed doors with the city council members who were plotting and planning on how to dismantle black political power in a way that would ultimately increase their personal power, but for what they felt was Latino political power. And I remember uh, as somebody who's both black and Latina being in that kind of hearing what was going on, right, reading about it and feeling like th that can't be right. We can't have leaders who are at the table doing this to ultimately not work with all of us, to bring us all together. They were really just trying to tear our communities apart. And it felt like we need we need different folks at the table. And I went to I went to uh, do public comment at City Hall. It wasn't fully planned. We had on the I'm with the black shirts. And I remember like a different kind of passion came out of me. I was emboldened in a different way. And it wasn't to say that I haven't been passionate this entire time, but I felt like this is not right and we cannot have these folks at the table. And then folks started to say, well, well, you should be at the table. We need folks like you. And I, I don't know that I fully had a plan to ultimately go from being right an activist to, to wanting to be in Sacramento in this way. But I think, you know, sometimes we're called to do things that we know that is important for our community. And I think this is my next step in, in terms of the work I'm doing for my community. You said a lot of great stuff to unpack there. Uh, I know that you, you know, spent uh, years with Community Coalition, yes. right? And one of their uh, I guess you could say signatures. I sat on the board of that organization for many, many years is coalition. It's in the name, um, not just among, you know, different factions of the community, but different ethnic groups and whatnot. Um, and yet when you heard the tape, you bristled at that. I mean, I, I guess Coco was actually named uh, in a, in a disparaging way. So I could see that, but you said, um, you you felt that they thought they were building Latino power, but you being uh, black and Latina, you bristled at that. So how does that, does that conflict with the long-term work of co Community Coalition or is it bolstered by it? Like explain how that resonated for you. Yeah, so I actually, you know, being at Community Coalition, one of the the values that we're really based upon that we're grounded in is black and brown solidarity. It's about how we work together to ultimately, like you talked about, right? Like the dismantling those systems requires us to work together. We cannot fight white supremacy. We cannot fight the systems that ultimately are working against us and working to keep us um, uh, oppressed if we work against one another. And so the value that I was taught at Coco was all about from the beginning, how do we work together? How do we bring folks together? How do we even bring, I was a youth organizer when I started, how do we bring high school students together who sit in different parts of the cafeteria or different parts of the schoolyard to really help them understand the importance of, you know, you might have been taught from, from a young age about, you know, how these folks are different than you and these folks are, you know, doing something that we don't really like and we don't have similar cultures. But ultimately, we're in L.A. We're we can we can work together. We can we're living right next door to each other. And so how do we actually teach young folks, teach our community um, about the similarities, the shared struggles that we have to ultimately then be able to work to dismantle those struggles, to push against those struggles, to do the work, to develop the leadership of our community to say we're not just going to fight 
hate each other because that's not going to get us anywhere because we're just fighting for crumbs. And so how do we really make sure that we're pushing for the policies that we know we want to see? And so then hearing folks like Nuri Martinez and Kevin De Leon and Gil Cedillo saying, well, these black folks are basically getting in the way of us being able to have political power. That's not how it works at all. If we work together, then a, a black seat or a Latino seat won't be that in and of itself. It's about us knowing that we're representing the folks who are in the community, not just my folks type of thing. So I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I know the, the work of Community Coalition um, around that that area of black and brown solidarity. Of course, for those not familiar, it's founded by then... Uh, community organizer Karen Bass who's now our mayor and one of the things that attracted it, me to COCO was exactly that the youth organizers the training of uh, future leaders um, which is a, a big part of what they do through through uh, SEA South Central Youth Empower Through Action but yet I mean it seems like even today we there it's more challenging even more challenging uh, to maintain that solidarity as we see um, black folks getting um, pushed out, I think, more aggressively right. through through gentrification than other groups. And in some cases, you know, the not always, but in some cases, the tension between black and immigrant communities uh, of which you uh, consider yourself both. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think, you know, one of the things that is really important and really helpful in a place like Community Coalition is that the goal is to teach and to educate, to organize, to, to, to be able to provide a level of political education that helps even Latinos say we need to fight for black folks because we understand that our community is, if, if, if gentrification happens in a way that ultimately pushes out black people, eventually that's going to happen to Latinos too and it's already happening in some communities, right? And so how do we then provide that, like, Community Coalition every every few years shuts down for a week and does a race retreat. And in that race retreat, we really talk about, we get deep into an understanding and, an, and a racial analysis that helps us to understand why it's important to work together. And we're pro, and we're passing that knowledge on to our community. And so in, a, in the case of gentrification as the example, we need to know that we have Latine folks who are actually going to ride for black folks. That's how we do the work. In the same way that black folks can ride when there's an immigrant issue, right? Because Latinos and or Latine folks themselves um, or ourselves can't just fight and then hope that immigration is going to change. We know we have to build a broad coalition to make sure that folks say we need to be at the table. We need to see these changes. We want to see this reform. Um, and so I think that's a big part of what I feel um is is important, right? Like we can be nationalistic, we can be proud of who we are, we can be proud of where we come from. But if we don't work together, we oftentimes end up getting left behind. And I think that's the important piece of what um, of what solidarity really means to me, right? And what solidarity really means to a place like Community Coalition and what we're trying to pass on to our folks. Okay, I want you to say your name because I, I I feel like I might be missing some subtleties here. Yes, Shade El Hawari. Okay, I was close. Yes. Shade El Hawari. El Hawari is... Egyptian. Egyptian. I'm really big on this thing that we have to know our so-called race, because I reject that concept. Our race, nationality, ethnicity, culture, and you can throw in religion if you want, because all of those make up who we are. And I think when we break it down to white or black, sometimes we, we miss important things, right? right? We miss like, where are you from? And, right. And how do you view the world? Like, what is your lens? Right. Um... If you were describing yourself, how would you describe yourself? 
I often say that I'm the daughter of immigrants. My mom's from Guatemala, my dad's from Egypt, and I identify as black and Latina. A lot of folks would say Egypt is Middle Eastern, not black. So, And I've heard this. It's yeah. it's out there in the stratosphere. Shade El Hawari is not black. Yeah. How do you respond to that? I think it's really important to recognize how much um, in this country we are built uh, one on the backs of black people, right? And in a lot of ways, we stigmatize blackness to the point where African folks from various countries, Nigerian, folks from the Caribbean who are black, um, Haitians, as examples, come to the United States and then don't identify as black because black is considered bad in so many ways. And I think that includes uh, in other places where as as far as possible, the getting as far as possible from blackness means that you are more successful, right? The closer you get to whiteness, the close the proximity to that means that you have somehow been able to to garner a level of success. Absolutely, in, in I mean, it's like if you can. Ugh, um, yeah, it 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 reminds me of the the whole controversy around Tyla. Are she, are she black? Is she colored? Uh, she doesn't claim black. Some people are mad at that, but if I check the not black box, do I get white privilege? You know, on the census, for example. Right. And so I think I think there's so much nuance. And, and I'll share that, you know, my upbringing was not in South Central. I actually grew up I grew up in L.A., born and raised. But a part of my upbringing was very, very Latina. It was like 99 percent in the place where I grew up in Northeast L.A. And I think there was a lot of me that actually like rejected my Egyptian side because from my kind of upbringing with having a grandmother or a family who's Muslim on my dad's side, my grandmother who wears her hijab, I always felt like something was different and I didn't like the differences. And so I could just keep to what made me similar to my peers. Then I didn't have to think about that part of me. I think when I got to high school and in particular college, there was an understanding that like, you know, Egypt is in Africa. Like, what does that mean for me as someone who is uh, who has been taught or who hasn't been taught right about my history? And so a big part of my, I think, um, politicization at UCLA um, when I was a, a young person, when I started there as a part of the class of the infamous 96, where there were less than 100 black students on campus out of uh, the entire 4,500 student freshman class, I knew that I had to really deepen an, un, my understanding around who I am, what my background is, what it means to be Egyptian. And so many folks were like, well, yeah, you're black. And I was like, wait, 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 like, I want to learn more. What does that mean? And so there's always, I think, going to be a level of like, are you black enough? Because Egyptian means something specific to different people. Um, but I think the importance of understanding my history, understanding what it means when we talk about ancient Egypt, when we talk about this pride in what comes out of Africa, what comes out of, you know, so many things that, that were truly founded in a place like Egypt. I think it's, un it's really important for me to understand and be able to embrace uh, my blackness in that way, embrace my family history in ways that ultimately are trying to be stripped from us you know and i think in, in egypt you see the ways in which right um it was kemet and the greeks came and romans came and they wanted to make all these things and you know ultimately colonize and and i think when we learn about that um we we can know and move in that but i think a lot of folks and even in my own family wouldn't necessarily identify that way and i think that piece is important yeah, I mean, that is kind of the quest of, of the younger generations, right? Uh, especially in, in immigrant families, but in all families, uh, to push the envelope in our understanding and when we call ourselves progressives. 
Uh, Sade El Hawari is my guest. And I want to talk about the policy piece when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Gillette. Your ancestors' favorite radio station, radio station, and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now, we are talking 57th Assembly District. You might well be in it if you're listening from the left coast. It's a big old district encompassing much of South L.A. Uh, Sade um, Elwade has been working in South L.A. through Community Coalition now seeking your vote for the 57th district. When it comes to policy pieces, um, you know, we'll continue this more on the other side of news, traffic and sports. I'm sure you had some ideas that even propelled you more to run like, oh, I want to do this. Or if Mm -hmm. I, you know, if I'm elected, I can craft that. What are those? I think the biggest piece that impacted um, what I felt like I could really change when I get to Sacramento is around mental health. And I think a big part of that being looking at, it, looking at it partially as a root cause of the housing crisis. So many of our folks who are on the street who haven't been able to get the supports that they need, who are often turning to um, substances as, as a way to cope with what they're going through, right? Like, if I just smoke a little bit of this, if I just try a little bit of that, at least I'll feel better temporarily, but not necessarily getting the supports that we need in our communities. Um, and, and we see a lot of folks, if it's not mental health, that it's addiction, who are really struggling on the streets and, and struggling with being unhoused. Um, but we also see mental health, the impact on young people. I'm a foster mom, and, and uh, my foster daughter really struggled with mental even before the pandemic, uh, really struggled. I think, you know, even before she was, uh, she became a a foster youth, um, which happened in her teens, you could really see the impact of so many young people you know, social media. Um, I don't. I don't know exactly. You know what kind of spawned this big change, but you could really feel the ways in which she was depressed. She had anxiety. She was really struggling, and that's just one example of many young people who are struggling with mental health. Um, and the pandemic exacerbated that for a lot of us, not just specifically for young people. And so I felt like, well, if I could be able to do some of the work that helps us to solve uh, and, and really push towards solutions around housing for our folks, but also around mental health. Um, growing up personally with a mom who struggled with mental health um, and even having having mental health struggles myself um, as, as an adult, I think all of that really makes a difference in how can we then really uh, impact our folks. And at COCO, I um, started the Wellness Committee Coco is Community Coalition for folks uh, who don't call it Coco. And I remember having so many folks, we are activists, but so much of the trauma that we are, we know our community is experiencing, we also are then experiencing secondhand. And so how do we take care of ourselves, take care of our community, and think about what it means to really ensure that that's a part of how we understand, um, uh, hopefully, the work that I get to do when I'm in Sacramento. Talking about... Um you know, mental health on the state level, we now have the care courts rolling out here in L.A. It's a tricky issue. Which, yeah, you know, with is. when do we compel people to get care? Right. Um, how do you view that? Yeah. So I think I think it's a step in the right direction in terms of ensuring that we can really provide a level of care for folks who 
for so many years, it's been stigmatized in our communities. And so folks never understood the importance of getting care or didn't want to be labeled as crazy or didn't want to be, you know, um, uh, didn't have the, the capacity or access or resources to get that support. I think the care court is a step in the right direction. But I think what we ultimately need to understand is there's going to be a lot to smooth out. There's going to be a lot of hiccups. There are going to be, um, you know, obstacles and barriers and how we work through them, I think really is going to make a difference because ultimately, right, it's in the word, how we care about our communities, not just compel them for the sake of we need to get everyone off the streets. And if they don't want to listen, then we need to throw them into like that. That's not going to work. But ultimately, we understand that there are levels of folks who really just don't even um, see and understand the extent to which they are struggling with these really dire mental illnesses. And what we do to support them, I think is going to make such a difference. But Sacramento oftentimes makes these these laws, these policies, and they don't think about the minutia, the details. How does that then roll out? How do we make sure that we're really um, working with folks locally? I had a really good conversation with Mayor Bass about that when I shared that I'm really interested in, in focusing on mental health as a, as a part of the housing crisis, as a part of um, the work that we want to do with young people. And she said, well, when this comes out, you're going to really want to think about how do you iron out some of those pieces that we aren't um, we aren't sure. Right, those know, unintended consequences. Exactly, exactly. I mean, plus people are concerned, as you're saying, that there it could be too um, carceral, that it could end up being just another way of criminalizing people in crisis. Right. And I think that's a big part of why we have to do the work to ultimately know that we are not following that kind of model. Right. I think that there we know models that don't work. We know that the carceral system has not helped our folks. We know that people are not coming out rehabilitated. And we know that we're locking up many people who struggle with mental health or who are unhoused and who aren't getting the supports that they truly need. And so I think in that sense, um, it's really important that we don't make those same mistakes and that we really do the work of understanding what it's going to take and, and have the right folks, have the right experts, have the right, you know, um, uh, even I think activists at the table to make sure we don't make that same uh, make that same uh, mistake. Yeah. All right. We're talking with Shade El Hawari, and this is uh, a conversation about the 57th Assembly District. I know you might be in holiday mode, but guess what? The election is right around the corner. We had a conversation about yeah. that. She was reminding me, and so it's time to figure it all out. Want to talk about? the massive number of endorsements you have and, and why you think that is and what it means when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports only right here. From our heart to, our your, heart. Heart to your heart. To your heart. Happy holidays to you and the ones you love from KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. And we're talking 57th Assembly District. Yeah, it's election time. Wake up and let's get it together. Uh, Shade Al-Hawari is with me. She's running 457. You have been endorsed by Mayor Karen Bass, who you mentioned earlier. You've been yes. endorsed by, uh, well, a lot of folks. Um, uh, let's talk about who some of those people are and, and why it matters. Yeah, so I'll start by saying, you know, Mayor Bass uh, is highly and widely respected, uh, I think, throughout our country. And in particular, in California and Los Angeles, uh, it's exciting because we're the only legislative candidate that's been endorsed by Mayor Bass. Uh, in all the races uh, at the state level, I think that really makes a difference. And she's fully invested. She has hosted a fundraiser for us. She has uh, been willing to even knock on doors uh, in a way that I think is really going to make a difference come uh, come 
you know, the election in March. Uh, you know, I've gotten some really great endorsements from folks uh, like my mentor, uh, Council Member Marquise Harris Dawson, as well as uh, Council Member Hugo Soto Martinez, uh, Supervisors Holly Mitchell and Hilda Solis, as well as a lot of the folks right here in. Uh, the community. So uh, Assembly Member Isaac Bryan, Assembly Member Tina McKinner, uh, Assembly Member uh, Chris Holden, as well as some folks in uh, in the Bay Area and the Senators Lola Smallwood-Cueva, Senator uh, Steve Bradford and Congresswoman Sydney Kamlager. Dove. I think it really makes a difference to have folks who are fully invested in ensuring that we have a really strong representation in a community that um, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier, but that is historically black, right? South LA is historically black and has become majority Latino. And so what it means to ensure that we have representation um, in, in a real way that, that allows us to both keep the seat black, but also um, really be thoughtful around what it means to um, both transition right in this transition um, and really think about what it means to, to, to invest in a progressive candidate and keeping the seat progressive. As uh, we talked about assembly member Joan Sawyer, uh, who's coming later, it has been a, a really kind of a stalwart of, of progressiveness in Sacramento. And Reggie Joan Sawyer, as she's referring to is on Friedman Friday today. He'll, so he'll be in, in the studio at seven. Yeah. Right. So, um, you and you just refer to yourself as progressive. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think for me it means um, making sure that we are uh, pushing the system to really be able to support um, our community members in a way that is um, not about business interests, not about you know uh, oftentimes you know corporate interests, lobbyists who are really just trying to you know have these special interests at the top of mind at our state level, but to really think about how we prioritize community interests, how we make sure communities at the table, how we make sure that truly um, we're we're looking. For towards progress um, and that we know that that uh, really uh, starts with and, and really centers community within that. So all these endorsements, I mean, you, clearly you have most of the black electeds, right? So right. they are apparently not struggling with, you know, your blackness. Um, you have a lot of the folks we consider progressives. So, you know, you, you can say, well, that's that speaks to your progressivism. But some people might say, well, it's a coronation. And you know we've had this, not just with you, it's an ongoing issue of whether or not it's best for uh, our current elected to pick the person that succeeds them in office or whether we should be more, you know, whoever, all comers kind of situation. Yeah, so um, Assembly Member Reggie John Sawyer, who has uh, endorsed me, actually dual endorsed. Um, and so he, I think, gave gave a little more flexibility around who he thinks, you know, could ultimately succeed him in this seat. Uh, and for me, I think it's beyond electeds, right? Electeds shouldn't make a deci the decision for us. Endorsements are amazing. I've been grateful to even get the Planned Parenthood endorsement, to get uh, firefighters, nurses, teachers, right? But And because I, I represent and labor in a way that I know is, is truly important, as we talked about, because I'm progressive. But I think ultimately, we want our community to make this decision through our voices, through their vote, right? And I, and I know that for me, as an organizer, as somebody who's on the ground, as somebody who has an incredible field team, that we're really going to be doing the work of having volunteers knocking on doors, being on the phones, um, because... 
none of those folks are going to be able to change votes in and of themselves, right? We know it's going to take a level of um, of true community uh, action, of true, you know, uh, on the ground work to 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 ensure that we can be in Sacramento. And I, I really want the to be the person who the community chose, and not who is just you know. Uh, coronated as you said or crowned by by the the current folks who are in office yeah it's it's a balance i mean you, you of course you got to get support and endorsements speaking of support and endorsements um egyptian guatemalan and sagittarian so you're having, <laughs> so you're having a birthday party fundraiser yes tell us about that yes so we are really excited you know a big part of running for office i've learned is really being able to showcase that you are a viable candidate and viability partially includes endorsements it partially includes um, your field game your field strategy uh, but it really is how much you can fundraise so that you can contact voters so that you can tell voters your story and um, we are doing a fundraiser for my birthday this Sunday at Cafe Aura, the uh, formerly known as Hot and Cool Cafe and here in Lamert Park, right actually down the street from where we are currently. And uh, it's at 6 p.m. And we're really excited because uh, I'm turning 36. And so we've dropped Woo-hoo! ticket prices down to $36 <laughs> and uh, really want to make sure that it's it's something that is not just right, that it's just about the, the big fundraisers, the big dollars. It's about our community folks, too, who really show they invest. And so uh, we did a social media drive back in maybe May or so uh, called I Got Five on it. And we did an opportunity where folks said, well, I got five on Sade's campaign. How much you got? And they'd give $5, $50, $500. They'd post their receipts and they'd tag their friends. And we have over 800 donors, um, maybe even 900 at this point. Then I think that really makes a difference that we're engaging folks civically. We're engaging folks and even the, the monetary, the financial part of elections in a way that a lot of our folks have never um, uh, done, have never felt called to do. And I think that's really indicative of the type of energy that this campaign is is really bringing with it and the type of folks who um, are really inspired by what we can do when we really show up for community in a real way. Uh, 36, that makes you a millennial, I think. Yes, I am. So how, what, what will your millennial lens bring to the assembly that is needed? Yeah. So first I'll say um, a lot of my team members are Gen Z. And I think that it's important to always have the young (laughs) folks pushing, right, because they will push hard. And, you know, as we continue to get older and and folks might say we become jaded or cynical, um, I think I I still am not there yet. But I I think it's important to have right the younger generation, the kind of younger cohort, the 18 to 25 year olds who say this is this is what a true um, radical kind of system like if we really change the system this is what it should look like and that they'll really hold your feet to the fire I think is important to surround yourself with folks who aren't just yes men or women or uh, really thinking about what it means to make sure that we're we're often um, pushing ourselves to really understand what it's going to take to shift the system and not um, get used to or or feel like we're just kind of um, allowing the same old same old to continue yeah um, I, I you know as the mom of a, of a Gen Z, ha, I know it well. <laughs> yeah, but millennials not only ex- not exactly old and jaded, just <laughs> not, yeah. But it's but it's just like thinking yeah. about right, like who I was as a eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old at UCLA, um, and you know, learning about the Black Panthers and wanting to you know really like model what I learned after um, this. To me, this incredible kind of example of uh, revolutionary um, ideals and and 
and really pushing for freedom and liberation in the way that we deserve. I think, you know, as we get older, we start thinking, okay, well, there's other ways to do it. And how do we learn that? And young people are like, no, there's one way. And this is, you know, yeah. let's push. And so sometimes I think, you know, uh, as a millennial, they kind of fitting in between Gen X and Gen Z um, allows us to, to both learn a lot from the folks who are ahead of us uh, and, and really think about, you know, the, the young people who are going to continue to help um, and every generation push us forward and every generation yeah. um, force us to kind of really look at what um, is holding us back and, and really be able to do some of that work too. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're running for the 57th. Another um, lens that you have that may not be as common in the assembly is mom. Um, you have just the one the Yes. Okay. So not just mom, but also someone familiar with the foster system, which I know is near and dear to one of your big uh, endorsers, Karen yes. Bass. What do you see? Uh, what do you see that you would want to impact through you know, with your mom hat on. Yeah, I think um, I'll start by thinking, saying, you know, housing is really important right now. I think uh, I don't know if everyone knows this, but running for office, you don't get paid. You don't get a single dollar. So even myself, like I am struggling financially and I wish I could do more to support her, um, especially because she just recently uh, aged out of the system. And so aging out of the system at 21 means that you no longer get the extra check that kind of bolsters you up and helps you with, you know, housing, helps you with food. And so she's someone who is not only in college in San Francisco, but she is also having to work multiple jobs and can barely afford to get an apartment. Definitely doesn't have enough to have a deposit, right, to get a new place. And so recognizing the ways in which, not just for foster children, but just for um, young folks who don't have extra supports or who come from backgrounds that are low socioeconomic or who don't necessarily understand what it means to go to college and all of the expenses that come with it, we need to do better to not um, put them in such, I think, uh, dire straits, right? We see young people, like the the. there's a really great example of LA Room and Board where Young people are uh, who are in community college who are unhoused um, are being able to get uh, uh, free space because so many of them are unhoused. So many young people who are trying their best to go through the higher education process who come from backgrounds where they don't have a lot are really struggling with housing. And so for her and, and as a mom, I'm like, I wish we could do more to make sure one, as a foster youth, she has everything she needs until she's done with college. Right. Not not just while she is until she's 21. Uh, but I think even uh, there was a recent policy that said you only need one month of deposit instead of first month, last month security um, to be able to to be able to move in somewhere like those are the kinds of things. And, and having affordable housing that truly is protecting renters, right. protecting tenants so that we aren't just, you know, seeing rent skyrocket. Sade El-Hawari is my guest. She's running for the 57th uh, Assembly District. She's an educator and an activist. We continue the conversation when we come forward exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. A safe place to go loud. loud. A great place for progressive politics. KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. <laughs> Sade El Hawari is with me. She is uh, running for the uh, 57th Assembly District and has been endorsed by a lot of folks, a lot of Black folks. You have, uh, you have strong um, Latina endorsements too. 
Yeah, I think uh, Supervisor Hilda Solis is one of my really yeah, strongest. Do. And then uh, I have her. Council Member Hugo Soto Martinez, and i uh, really hoping for a few more uh, that we've been in talks with. But, uh, you know, there's three uh, Latina folks in the race, and so I think there's a hesitancy and a hesitation around folks deciding who they want to support. Um, yeah. And while I'm the most progressive, I think uh, there's also some some uh controversy around you know if we support her are we supporting a black candidate versus thinking about it as you know me being both yeah interesting you got a birthday party coming up this yes. weekend um how do people we forgot to tell people how yeah. to get to it so other than uh, they can they show up at the door they can at, show up at the door uh, uh, it's helpful yeah it's helpful to let to know if you're coming uh but it's bit.ly slash sade b day uh, so it's B-I-T dot L-Y slash S-A-D-E-B-T-A-Y. And then your campaign um, website, everyone has their fundraisers and their volunteer opportunities and more usually on their websites. What's yes. yours? Sade for assembly dot com. Uh, and that's F-O-R. So Sade, S-A-D-E-F-O-R-A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y dot com. Sadeforassembly.com, pretty straight ahead. Um, people like the People City Council and others ask folks to take a pledge. No police money, no oil money. Where are you on that? Absolutely not taking police or oil money. I think it's important for us to really understand the impact that, you know, oil drilling has in our community. And if we take that money, then there's an expectation of how we continue to allow um, folks to just really ruin our environment and, and not allow us to have, um, you know, just a, a, a clean air and clean water, you know, as a baseline. Um, and then I think uh, with um, law enforcement money, it's just something that is really important to recognize the ways in which I think um, you become beholden to what, you know, police and law enforcement then expect you to do. And, and we have to really be pushing for criminal justice reform um, and really thinking about the ways in which we truly are investing in our communities and not in the carceral state and continue to do that. It's Freedman Friday, so I have to ask you about reparations. Yes. Um, you know, Reggie Jones Sawyer, who was in the seat prior to you, was on the reparations task force. Where do you stand on the issue of reparations? We absolutely have to do everything that we can at the state level to ensure that we are uh, not only now that we've gone through the process of, of creating this incredible report that, that the reparations commission or, or committee um, has been a part of, that we actually put that into um, fruition and, and really ensure that we see it uh, coming um, coming into to reality and not just talking about it. It's, it's especially because we know, um, you know, as L.A. goes, as as California goes, as the nation goes, and we have to to really, I think, um, be the example here in California. We got Carl on the line calling from L.A. Carl, uh, you have hey. the uh, you have the floor. Good morning. Hey, Dominique. Good morning to both of you. How you good doing? Morning. Hey, look, uh, uh, look. Uh, what do you, what's your take on that four percent increase in the rent and the six in, uh, percent increase on the rent? And are you going to be working with the mayor on helping uh, get people hired? I mean, she was on a campaign thing on TV the other day talking about hiring a lot of people, people that's off the sidewalk or whatever. Uh, I got an application in. She ain't looked at that and got me in there yet. And what's going to be done about all the streetlights that are out in the city of Los Angeles? Okay, so, Can you answer anything? Yeah, I think, I think those are fair questions, but I just want to frame it that uh, Assembly is a statewide office, and you're talking about city 
city municipal problem. So there are different levels of government, but yeah. how could you impact yeah. that? Yeah. So one, I think, you know, the resources start at the state level. And so to make sure that we are coordinating in a lot of ways for I love the idea that, you know, while I won't be able to do streetlights myself, that I can make sure that we are having conversations with folks like Councilmember Marquise Harris-Dawson, with folks like Mayor Bass, to say, well, what? why is it that South L.A. in particular, it takes so much longer to get the streetlights back on than on, on the west side? What do we need to do to ensure that we're holding folks accountable at, in the, you know, the street lighting department? Um, and I think in terms of hiring, um, you know, I'm, I'm so supportive of where Mayor Bass has really pushed our city and she's going to continue to face an uphill battle in a lot of ways but it has really shown us that the city can do much more than what we've seen for the past however many years um, that the that the housing problem has gotten much worse and so that's really important I think and exciting to know that um, she is really ensuring that she's looking to hire more folks the city does move slow and government moves slow but I think she is such a such someone who really is pushing to say we can't just move in the same way that we've moved for all these years we have to go faster and we have to hold our accountable to really um, being exceptional uh, because it's going to take a lot of work. And I think the last question you asked about rent, if I'm not mistaken, I yeah, think the rent hikes, the rent hikes um, you know, we are in a horrible time to, to be pushing for rent hikes when we know that folks are on the street and are going to continue to get pushed on the street because we're also facing what is going to amount to potentially a recession. And a lot of folks are really, I think, experiencing um, a level of that. And so I am not pro rent increases, but I do recognize the extent to which a lot of some of these mom and pop landlords have been impacted by uh, not only the the you know the pause on rent increases, but but even with you know the eviction moratoriums and and the and the rent um, kind of um, pause or whatnot during during the pandemic. And so I think to the extent to which we can, and I don't know that I don't know this, so this might be something to learn and, and figure out at the at the local level. To the extent that we can really talk about, well, how do we really support the mom and pop folks and not make it so that it becomes such that everyone, it's a blanket thing, right? How do we make sure that we're investing in some of those um, landlords who also depend on that for their retirement, depend on that sometimes even for their own income, which I think is important. Yeah, it's a balance, but it, I think, you know, clearly we're overrun in the main in L.A. with right. corporate landlords. Right. And that's a, that's a statewide problem. Um, so it, it's, you know... It, it's a tough question, but it has to be addressed, and it will be addressed on the statewide level because we're going to be once again dealing yep. with rent control Absolutely. on us on a ballot initiative. Yes. So that's part of it is organizing around that. We just got a couple minutes left yeah. here. What do you? I'm, I want to let you um, talk about what you want to talk about. What should people know about you? Why should we vote for you for fifty seventh? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. I think, you know, uh, I I talked about earlier being both black and Latina, and I think. It is incredibly important to make sure that we are represented in a community where we're being pushed out. Um, I think it also really makes a difference. Like, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm uniquely positioned for this role as we recognize that, you know, what happened last year was folks plotting and planning to take, you know, black seats and, and whatnot. And so how do we ensure that we continue to have the representation that we deserve is is incredibly important. Um, I think uh, if folks want to get involved, we have so many, you know, volunteers who are coming. We have our headquarters on 53rd and Vermont uh, at the Unity House, uh, which is a space that had been vacant for over uh, eight or 
or so years and we totally transformed it and renovated with volunteer renovated it with volunteers who did everything from pulling up carpet to putting in new floors to painting to um, making sure that we were able to you know even get rid of some of uh, the the kind of um, human waste and things like that that had just been allowed to, to continue to be there yeah. and so um, yeah we but we had folks who did everything I mean we had to get like new roofing and all and so much of it was um, volunteer labor who said we want to make sure that we have a space that we can welcome the community to and that community knows it's because we're doing this work to make sure that we're, we're represented uh, in Sacramento and so kind of really show what you could that. do in a micro level with your office exactly exactly okay we'll find out more Sade for assembly.com it's S-A-D-E, like the singer, for F-O-R, assembly.com. Thank you so much for coming yes. in and spending the hour with us. It's Thank a pleasure you so to much. Talk I'm you. so grateful to have been able to be here. And you're amazing, Dominique. I'm so glad to meet you and, and fully have an opportunity to connect. Much appreciation. Nice to meet you, too.